Welcome back to another edition of the City That Never Sleeps show. I'm your host, Brandon Pockers, and my co-host, as always, Austin Kane, will be joining us a little bit later into the show. He had something he had to attend to prior, uh, you know, prior responsibilities he had to attend to, but he will be on later in the show. So for the time being, it is just me steering the ship. So we got a lot to talk about today. Lots of events in the sports world, the New York sports world specifically. We got the Jets going from essentially dead in the water to being alive again. We got the New York Giants, which that is our question of the day, because as you can as you guys can see here, question of the day, the New York Giants will win a playoff game. Agree or disagree in the comments section. If you guys have any other comments, make sure to leave them there too. We got Mets news, you know, Carlos Correa deal. It happened, <laughs> as we kind of talked about on the last show, and then it kind of didn't happen because of medical issues. We're going to get into all that. Also, a lot to talk about NFL-wise, a lot to talk about with the Christmas Day games in both leagues, the NFL and the NBA. Got some NHL talk and really anything else you guys want to bring up. You know, fantasy football championships are happening this upcoming week. Really bad week in fantasy, if you really think about it. A lot of studs underperformed. A lot of random guys went off. So, Whatever you guys want to talk about in the comments, make sure to leave it there. And let's get this thing, let's get this show on the road. We're going to start with the Giants today. We started with the Jets last week, but we're going to start with the Giants today. So if we look at the box score, and before we do that, we got Rob in the chat. What's up? How you doing? Glad to see you guys here. We got Brian. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. I appreciate it. Thank you. And Merry Christmas to all you guys as well. But the New York Giants had a very close game. You know, they lost on a last-second field goal to the Minnesota Vikings by a score of 27-24. to Just, you know, glimpsing at the stat lines, Daniel Jones, 30-42, 334 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Got Saquon Barkley, 14 for 84 and 1. Daniel Jones added 34 yards on the ground. And Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins. You know, James, 8 receptions for 90 yards. Hodgins, 8 for 89. Slayton had 79 yards receiving as well, along with Barkley having 8 receptions for 49 yards. You know, this is a game where it's not... I feel a little bit more confident in a way about the Giants after this game than I have in recent weeks. But at the same time, it's tough to determine, you know, the type of opponent that they play. Because if you really look at it, right, solely based on records, solely, just only looking at records, the Minnesota Vikings are one of the best teams in football. They are 12-3. and three. They've essentially clinched the NFC North. They're one game out of the one seed. Technically two because the Eagles have the tiebreaker. But just off performance and record alone, this is a Giants team that looks like, you know, they have the makings for 
or there's a Vikings team that looks like they have the, the makings for a deep playoff run, that they're one of the better teams in the conference. But then if you take a closer look, and that's what we're going to do right here at some of their games, this is a Minnesota team where, you know, they barely beat Detroit early in the year. They barely beat the Saints. They barely beat the Bears, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Commanders, the Bills. Got smoked by Dallas. Barely beat New England. The Jets lost to the Lions in a pretty convincing fashion. And then escaped their last two games in the last second against the Colts and Giants. And that's not saying that Minnesota isn't battle-tested. That's not saying that... You know, the Vikings aren't talented in the slightest. And we got mad in the chat. Most of their most of their games are one score wins, eleven of them. Yeah, exactly. They are the penultimate team of you know, obviously you're not looking ahead, but this is the type of season where next year this could flip and the Vikings could have four or five wins. Solely winning off one-score games is good because it shows you do have the ability to come from behind late in games. It's good because it shows you do have the ability to pull out wins when you probably shouldn't. But at the same time, it shows that regardless of opponent, you're having struggles to put teams away. Especially teams that, based off record, like a Detroit Lions team. Based off record, like a Chicago Bears team. Regardless of it being a division game, solely based off record and the the idea of what this team is, you should be able to put these teams away, and it's just not happening. So, is it good that the Vikings had Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkson go for over 100 yards receiving? Is it good that they had Kirk Cousins throw for three, basically 303? Yes. But remember... The Vikings are going to face better offenses. And you cannot consider them in the quote-unquote upper echelon of the NFL in terms of the NFC opponents when the top two teams in the NFC absolutely demolish them. The Cowboys and the Eagles. We got, got Nate in the chat saying, Cowboys have a better defense than the Niners. We are better than the Niners. I think it's pretty even at this point. I don't. I wouldn't say that Dallas is so far ahead, but you know, I, I think Prescott's better than Purdy. I think that's important. I think Dallas has a better running back platoon than the Niners, but I think that Niners front four is a little bit better than Dallas's. I think that the Dallas secondary is a little better than San Francisco's. Like it, it's give and take, and especially after. Next week, we're going to have a very, very, very good idea of what these playoff matchups are shaping up to be and the paths for each of these teams to potentially make a Super Bowl run. So in continuing to look at this Giants game and from a Giants perspective, the reason, you know, we have this question of the day, what the Giants will win a playoff game, agree or disagree, is because you know, the Vikings are a better team than a lot of the teams the Giants have played outside of their division. But at the same time, they might not be on that upper echelon 
like the Eagles, like the Cowboys. And I, I really do think the NFC is a lot closer than it appears because, you know, New York did play Dallas close in both games. They did play Philadelphia and they got smoked by them, but I think Philadelphia is still a leg above most teams. What it essentially comes down to is what can the Giants show against an inferior opponent? And let's put it like it is an inferior opponent against the Colts. And then in some case, depending on if Jalen Hurts returns to the lineup, an Eagles team that may be playing for something in week 18. If the And this is where my answer to the question comes in because the Giants show, you know, they can compete against, or not compete, absolutely take care of business against the Colts and then not get their doors blown off against the Eagles. You know, they do, they do have a shot to upset a Minnesota if they play them again in the playoffs. They may have a shot to compete against a 49ers team in the playoffs. But I don't think they win a playoff game. I think they compete. I think they keep it close because that's what Brian Dayball and company have been doing all season. But I don't think they're there just yet. And that, we, we got Matt in the chat. Dallas defense just gave up 450 yards to a backup QB-led team and couldn't even muster a single quarterback hitter set. They were they were gifted four turnovers. 49ers defense is definitely better. Absolutely agree on that. You know, they're pretty close, but... The 49ers defense for a long stretch of time this year essentially was known for not giving up touchdowns in the second half of games. Dallas, that, that hasn't exactly been the case. In Dallas's case, they allowed Trevor Lawrence and company, whether you agree with, you know, it's all the defense's fault, the offense's fault. The defense still allowed Trevor Lawrence to lead drives down the field and essentially win that game for Jacksonville. Brian says... Giants have been way better than anyone thought they could be. I think they're another year from being a legit legit threat in the NFC. They need some wide receivers to take some of the pressure off Saquon. And that's essentially what it comes down to for me. It's a matter of the talent level they have currently accessible to their roster and the parts of the roster that will take an offseason to improve. Starting with the quarterback... I think Daniel Jones has shown enough that he can be not just a stopgap, but, you know, a decent option for a team led by a Brian Dayball-led offense. Dayball has shown he can play to Jones' strengths. He can get him in advantageous situations. And more and more over these past few weeks, he's shown that he can pass the ball. You know, the fact that Jones and, trust me, Minnesota secondary, not great. But this is a quarterback that in the past has struggled to even put up yardage without his top weapons. Him throwing for 334 yards, him getting Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins involved, guys that, let's face it, weren't even projected to be number three or four wide receivers, let alone the top two options for a team. Get Daniel Jones a number one, a legit number two. Get Wadell Robinson back. You're going to have a decent offense, and you're going to be able to allow Saquon Barkley to have these run lanes. We've talked about this in relation to the Jets. We're going to talk about it again later. When you don't have 
the threat of the passing, you can clamp down on the run. And the fact that Hodgins and Slayton and some of their other weapons, especially James too, have stepped up, have allowed Saquon to find those lanes again, to really start hitting those bigger plays. We got Matt in the chat. Nick Bose, Nick Bosa is on another level. Fred Warner is a beast sideline to sideline, and Ward is a beast. Defense is kind of scary. Exactly. It's why, you know, that's that's the type of team the Giants are probably going to match up with. If they not if at this point, I think they are going to make the playoffs. We take a look at the standings. You know, we got you know, the, the Commanders are still a game behind. The Seahawks are still a game behind. The Lions are still a game behind. Not really too worried about anyone in the NFC South. But, you know, unless the Giants really implode, they, they should really have that that sixth seed locked up. They should have that, that second wild card below Dallas locked up for them. We got Greg in the chat saying he disagrees in the poll. Tough first matchup for the G-Men if they get in. Either Vikings or most likely 49ers are tough. Exactly. You're either getting a matchup with a Vikings team that already proved they can exploit your weaknesses, or you're getting a 49ers team that, quite frankly, is one of the more dangerous teams in the NFC. But like, like I said, it's just a matter of – it's not a matter of making the playoffs anymore because I think – you know, beating the Colts should put put the Giants in a very good position against, you know, their Week 18 matchup in Philly. They should be in a good position if they take care of business against Indy. Now, if they don't take care of business against the Colts, we're having a completely different conversation next week, obviously. But I'm seriously operating under the assumption that the Giants are going to make the playoffs, but they're not going to win a game this year. We got Blue City Empire Sports in the chat. Kayvon Thibodeau was a beast playing against Washington. He's been a stud for them. He truly has come on strong. It's honestly surprising that he didn't go number one overall. But having him, Aziz Ojulari off the edges, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in the middle of that defense, that front four is looking very, very good for the Giants moving forward. And, you know, you get a guy like Xavier McKinney back next season. You add to that with some more linebacker pieces. On offense, you get the wide receiver weapons. You add another piece to that O-line. Honestly, pick up another running back later in the draft so you have a reliable option behind Saquon. You do all those things for the Giants in the offseason. Trust me, we have a whole offseason to talk about this. I think the Giants are looking to, at minimum, be a wildcard team next year. You know, football is a year-to-year sport. You never know how teams adjust year-to-year. You don't know if Philly's going to be that same upper echelon team. In all likelihood, they probably will be. But I think another year with the Giants improving that roster, they'll be in a better position to fully compete in the entire NFC not just scratch and claw their way to the playoffs. We got Greg in the chat as well saying getting the playoffs is a huge season for huge season win for the Giants. Exactly. 
It's the same thing like a team like Jacksonville, Detroit, the Jets in the AFC, and Jacksonville in the AFC as well. You get the young team's experience fighting for that playoff spot. You get a young team experience playing in that playoff game. That's only going to benefit them moving forward. It's only going to benefit them when their backs are against the wall the next season and they have experience in that situation. The Giants are in such a good spot because very similarly to the Jets in a week, but in a weaker conference where they are in a much better spot to make the playoffs than the Jets, the Giants are way ahead of schedule. This was not supposed to be the year where the Giants are fighting for that wildcard spot. In all likelihood, that was supposed to be next year. The fact that they are a year ahead of schedule only makes things easier in a lot of aspects because they know their weaknesses where they need to improve in order to make that next step. And also, you know, it. people thought, oh, you need to draft the quarterback, all that. The fact you have that question most likely answered, at least in the short term, allows you to focus all your resources towards those positions in need. They announced that Adoree Jackson might be back playing against Indianapolis. That, like, That's important as well. The Giants secondary has been hurt to the point where they are essentially starting guys off the street in that secondary. And when you're having that come playoff time, it's just not going to work. The fact that they're getting any help back in the form of Adoree Jackson or anybody else is going to help their chances if not majorly, just a little bit. Because you can't be asking backup corners to cover Justin Jefferson, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, these type of weapons that, quite frankly, are just going to eat them alive game after game. Giants might add Odell. We got that from Matt. You never know. I think that'd be a great addition. I think, especially if they add Odell heading towards next season, even if they just get him for a bit of a playoff run experience and then maybe make that a two-year deal where he's already on their contract. He can work in training camp. I I think Odell showed he has gas left in the tank. I think he showed that he's truly able to still play at a high level. And I think any form of that, whether it's a number two or three option for the Giants, is important. Blue City Empire, once again, this is the first time Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are both fully healthy together. Once again, Ties into the injury issues. The Giants have been hurt so much to the point where it's the reason why you have been able to get a good read on Daniel Jones. Because whether it's been Jones or his weapons hurt around him, that offense has never been operating at full capacity. You're starting to see glimpses of that now, but you still need to add a little bit more to get that Giants offense under Brian Dayball running at its maximum capacity. And one more comment from Greg. Not to mention, this is Dable working with Jones. Another full offseason of Jones in the same system. We're getting a legit QB under Dable might be dangerous. Exactly. So now to look towards the future. Because we've answered the question of the day. We we don't think the Giants are going to win a playoff game. I think it's going to be close in my opinion. But I don't think they're there just yet. So what does the remainder of the season look like? Well... Like I mentioned, the Giants finished their season against the Indianapolis Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to touch on the Colts a little bit later in the show, but 
to really surmise that one real quick, they the Giants have to win this game. This is a must win considering where they are in the standings, considering that the fact that if we look at the NFL schedule for the week coming up, you know, the Commanders play the Browns. Very winnable game for Washington. The Seahawks play the Jets. Going to be a very tough game for the Seahawks. The Packers play the Vikings. Very tough game for Green Bay. And Detroit plays Chicago. So essentially, if the Giants win this game, considering the matchups that the teams behind them have, you're potentially looking at the Giants clinching a playoff berth this weekend. Not fully, but in the sense of giving themselves enough breathing room to where most likely they're holding the tiebreakers. Most likely they're, you know, ensuring that they have that second wild card. If they lose to the Colts, which that creates a whole nother set of issues, then the Giants are essentially fighting for their playoff lives, in a sense, against a Philadelphia Eagles team that, depending on Jalen Hurts' availability against New Orleans, may be fighting for that one seed against Minnesota. So it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be going to be extremely interesting to see how the Giants season develops at the end of it because the the best part's always the conclusion. But also more importantly, what each game holds and the impact of each game. Because Daniel Jones implodes, okay, Giants might be bringing in a veteran to compete with Jones or to even overtake Jones. Daniel Jones leads them to a win or two wins in these last two games and then competes in a playoff game. Talking about Daniel Jones getting a pretty decent extension. There's always a middle ground. There's always caveats to these different things because the the not, not just confirmation bias, but so much of the NFL is what have you done for me lately. If Daniel Jones does a lot for the Giants down the stretch like he's been doing to an extent, it's going to be almost impossible. And I think it already is almost impossible, if we're really being honest, that the Giants don't bring him back. If he implodes and causes issues for this team down the stretch and they barely sneak into the playoffs, which would be very hard at this stage of the game, then you're probably looking at some other directions. All in all, though, it's going to be a very fun end to the season for the Giants, for New York football in general, as we'll get to in a little bit. But I'm I'm excited to see how, how everything plays out. I truly am. The Giants have been a fun story to follow. It's the, the two underdogs from New York making noise, actually being ahead of schedule. And truly, no matter what happens at the end of this season for the Giants, I think Giants fans should be very excited because they have the right leadership in place, in my opinion. And I have confidence that, especially after this past draft, they're going to add the right pieces and they're going to make the right moves to make this team a perennial, not just wildcard contender, but contender for the division over the next few years. So before we move on to the Jets, I want to remind you guys, the Creative Window Design Center is serving New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Florida. 
They're a fully authorized Hunter Douglas dealer. Contact Jeff at 609-226-0391 for a free consultation. Also, All Campus is giving 20% off everything in their store, including hats, shirts to all their subscribers. You guys don't want to miss out on that, so make sure to, you know, check that out. On to the Jets. Now, to start everything off here with the Jets, I came on the show this past week, past Tuesday, and said that the Jets would be dead in the water, most likely, with their playoff hopes if they lost to Jacksonville. That's not exactly the case now, but to backtrack and follow the the path of events, we're going to start on Thursday night. So I was at this game. And, you know, braving the the rainy conditions, you know, the the excitement was still there for, especially in that building. Jets fans were nervous, but optimistic against a Jacksonville team that, let's face it, in a lot of aspects, the Jets have more talent. They were getting Quinnen Williams back. They were getting Corey Davis back. The Jacksonville Jaguars were missing Trayvon Walker and Foley Fadukowski on their defensive line, potentially allowing for the Jets to run the ball in a more effective manner than they have in previous weeks. The defense also, in theory, matched up well with what Jacksonville was trying to do. That was not the case. It was simply not the case. Um, the Jets lost by a score of 19 to three. The game was not as close as the score really tells you, you know, the Jets honestly came out flat. The defense, while the points will tell you that they played decent, they only allowed the one touchdown. They only allowed 19 points to a really good Jacksonville offense. Watching the game and really looking at what was going on, the Jets defense was getting the ball moved on them. You know, Trevor Lawrence was making every possible throw. All the underneath routes were open, which, you know, that's better than having the deep routes hit. But it was hit the short pass, and Evan Ingram's going to run for a 10-yard game. Or hit the short pass and Zay Jones is going to have a, a five-yard game. ETN was getting four, three, five yards on basically every carry until really like the second half. There were some questionable decisions where the Jaguars could have gotten more points. Instead, they opted to kick field goals. Trevor Lawrence, when the Jets had everything covered downfield, decided to tuck and run. No spy, in fact, in this game, Trevor Lawrence ended up with 51 yards on the ground. All in all, it was just a, it was not a great performance for the defense, but they did, they somehow did enough in one of their worst performances since I'd say week three against Cincinnati to give their offense a chance. And Zach Wilson did not take advantage of it. 
excuse me. Yeah, Zach Wilson did not take advantage of it. Zach Wilson choked. And it's become crystal clear. And I, I said this when he got benched. I, I, I've stuck by this. I have said it repeatedly over and over again. Zach Wilson should not have seen the field for the Jets after his benching against the Patriots. And the unfortunate part is that circumstances outside of the Jets' control dictated that that wasn't going to happen. If Mike White doesn't get hurt, number one, the Jets probably win one of, if not both of, the Detroit and Jacksonville games. But number two, the earliest you would have seen Zach Wilson in a Jets uniform, if ever again, would have been 2023. They would have given him the entire rest of the season, the entire offseason, to really reset and come back. He was not afforded that opportunity. And we talked about the Lions game, right? Some amazing plays. Rolling out to his rolling out to his left, firing the ball across his body, hitting CJ Uzama for a touchdown. You know, scrambling out of the pocket and making these off-platform throws. Incredible. A lot of guys in the league can't do that. But the issue is the consistency. It's always been the consistency for this guy. Nothing more than the passes over the middle of the field. It's been so hit or miss. He'll fire a strike on one and then he'll spike the next five. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. There's no, you know, true, solid, go-to point for all these throws for why it's just not happening for him. Against Detroit, that cost them points that probably would have either tied or won them the game. Wasn't the entire reason they lost, but it was a huge part of it. Against the Jaguars... Zach Wilson was one of, if not the main reason, the offense could not move the ball. And look, there were other factors, right? The running game, non-existent once again. Wilson under center. The offensive line, not good either. But here's the issue, right? When your quarterback under center is a essentially a net zero, we're very close to it, passing the ball, defenses are going to sell out to stop the run because they have no confidence that the guy under center is going to beat them. Detroit literally got gashed by the Carolina Panthers to an extent where, if I get this correct, and I I think it is, both their starting running backs ran for over 100 yards. Way over, in fact. Deonta Foreman had 165 yards rushing, and Chuba Hubbard had 125. The New York Jets against the Lions literally had zero yards before contact on the ground. The Jacksonville Jaguars have been one of the worst or if not the worst, one of the bottom tier defenses in the NFL overall. The Jets with Zach Wilson under center could barely move the ball against them. Now, what what is the reason for this, right? 
So number one, they're selling out against the run because they know Zach Wilson can't really beat them. Is that more on play calling? Is that more on Wilson? Is it an even split? I think it falls somewhere in the middle, right? You got to get more creative with the front plays. You got to get more creative with how you're going to attack a defense that is exploiting a weakness. But at the same time, there is a huge aspect of it that falls onto the quarterback's shoulders. The quarterback has to make throws. The quarterback has to make plays. And if that doesn't happen, the offense isn't going to move the ball. Take the first drive the Jets had. Quinton Williams, whose presence in the Jets lineup is more paramount than I think anyone on the defense outside of Sauce Garden. Forces a strip sack. Immediate red zone opportunity. This is a situation where a touchdown was paramount. Obviously points, more paramount. But a touchdown puts the Jacksville Jaguars in a situation where they need to already be playing from behind. To a point where they cannot take the lead on one possession. The Jets ran the ball a few times. All right, didn't work. You know, running game isn't getting rolling to start the game off. On third down, Zach Wilson holds the ball too long. Takes a sack. There was an opportunity to escape. There was an opportunity to try and make a play. But Wilson holds on to the ball too long. A free rusher comes. Wilson doesn't see him. Sack, three points. Those are the only three points the Jets score all game. The next few drives are, are complemented with Wilson underthrowing deep balls, forcing his receivers to play defensive back to break up interceptions. Wilson missing a wide open Garrett Wilson on a curl route or a hitch route. Should have been at least a five, six yard gain. Completely missed him. Another miscommunication. And then the biggest one of all, and I think this is where everything started to really turn if it hadn't already was he completely missed a wide open dig route. And by completely missed, it was on, I wouldn't say a clean pocket, but by NFL standards, a pretty good pocket. Wilson skips an open dig route. And for a guy that did not miss those type of throws in college, for a guy that is lauded for his arm strength, lauded for his ability to put zip on the ball. For him to skip a di- an open dig route, the type of throw that he's expected to make with the type of arm strength that he has, that was the end of it. And after that, all of MetLife Stadium, and I'll be real with this, I have never seen something like this happen in the course of a game since I've been going to football games in general, whether it be the Eagles, the Jets, the Giants, the Ravens, wherever, wherever I've been. I have never seen a quarterback get booed running onto the field. Not running off, because I've seen that plenty of times. Stadiums boo the offense plenty of times when they don't execute, when they go three and out, and it's been like five straight possessions with three and out. 
But getting booed running onto the field, it just shows where the Jets fans' heads are at. It shows their level of patience. It's just not there. It's not there with Zach Wilson. And the straw that broke the camel's back was when Chris Streveler, in essentially one quarter, first drive he's in there, leads the Jets straight down the field. And if Corey Davis catches a, a slant, if they execute on a fourth down, the Jets probably make it a one-score game because that's the type of drive they were having. He Stregler missed C.J. Uzama on a wide-open touchdown, one of the more underthrown deep balls I've seen in a regular season NFL game. And Jets fans were cheering at it because the team was actually moving the ball. It got to a point where... In essentially that quarter, Chris Strebler had two less passing yards than Zach Wilson. He went 10 of 15 for 90 yards, and he ran the ball nine times for 54 yards. That's it. That's a wrap. You know, it's one thing to have Mike White come off the bench and look great. It's one thing to have Joe Flacco come in off the bench and look decent. In this offense. And really have his moments too. Where he's led the Jets down the field. And really put them in positions to win games. It's one thing. To have those two guys happen. But then when you have. An off the street Josh Johnson. Who look better than you in your rookie year. And then. A journeyman. CFL quarterback. That has not played a regular season snap. Who literally got elevated off the practice squad. The day before the game. Come in in the fourth quarter and look better than the number two overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Or the, yeah, I think it was 2021. What Whatever draft it was, the number two overall pick in that draft. It's over. It's, it's frankly over. There's not too much you can come back from in New York. It's almost borderline impossible to put the guy that gets booed running onto the field and outplayed by the CFL, the ex-CFL quarterback, the journeyman quarterback. It's tough. It's really tough. And at that point, at the end of the game, it seemed like the Jets season was essentially over. You know, the playoff hopes were, were grim. And, you know, barring a miracle... You know, it was time to look towards 2023. And then the Dolphins lost, the Patriots lost, and the Raiders lost. And all of a sudden, the Jets pseudo control their own destiny. Because if the Jets win their last two games against Seattle and Miami, and the Patriots lose one of their games, the Jets are in the playoffs. And the Jets got good news. You know, because Mike White's back. Mike White is the starting quarterback. Zach Wilson has been made inactive. And, you know, it's a matter of with the whole Zach Wilson situation now. Robert Sala comes out and says, you know, the Jets aren't giving up on Wilson. They still think he has a future here. If there's one thing I've learned about coach speak in general, but especially following the Jets, it's coaches a lot of times are going to protect their players. Not all the time, but in in Salah's case, 
the type of coach that he is, he is never going to throw his guys under the bus. That is what's happening here with Wilson. Because if you really deduce the situation, if you really deduce what the actions are and not the words, if that makes sense, it, it's obvious to see where the Jets lie with Zach Wilson. It's obvious to see where it's obvious to see where this situation's heading. But to focus on the present and then look towards the future, especially with Wilson and the quarterback situation, the present fact is the Jets have a very winnable game this week against the Seattle Seahawks. Mike White is the perfect quarterback to exploit Seattle's deficiencies in the secondary. Garrett Wilson should be able to consistently get open. Same with Elijah Moore. Corey Davis being back in the lineup once again is going to be huge. And tying back into my earlier point, having Mike White back should allow this run game with Zonovan Knight, with Michael Carter, to hopefully improve. Should allow the offensive line to probably play with a bit more juice. To actually have the ability to open up some lanes. Because the defense cannot sell out against the run and, you know, be like, oh, Mike White isn't going to beat us. Because Mike White has shown the ability to execute the offense consistently. He has shown the ability to lead the Jets down the field and get them points. It's going to be very interesting to see how the game goes. But I am going to predict that the Jets win a close one. Because I feel that the Jets' offense finally looks back in form. The running game finally has a heartbeat once again. And that the Jets' defense does a lot to shut down Geno Smith. I think that Geno's going to want to really stick it to the Jets in this sense. Where it's his first game starting against the team that drafted him. The team that first moved on from him. And I think he could be present. I think he could. I think this is a prime opportunity for the Jets, especially with Quentin Williams back and their front four, to exploit a bit of a banged-up Seattle unit. I think Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed are going to do enough, like they always do, to shut down Seattle's outside wide receivers. Now, Noah Fant could be a problem, 100%. But I think that the Jets defense, as they have done, even in their bad performances, are going to limit the Seahawks. If the Jets can score around 24 points, I think they win this game. I do. And I'm going to predict them to win this game if they score 24 points. I think Mike White does enough. I think he opens up the offense to an extent where they're able to score that amount of points and really allow the Jets to keep their season alive in a potentially win-and-in scenario against a reeling Miami Dolphins team. Now, in terms of the quarterback future discussion, Mike White has a chance to really solidify himself as the, I guess I would say, option down the stretch. If he can lead the Jets to the playoffs, if he can potentially allow them to fight and possibly win a a playoff game, which, let's face it, in this scenario, they're either playing 
a team like the Chiefs, the Bills, or the Bengals because the seven seed is the only seed that is available. I think they'll play them close. I don't think they win in Buffalo, although there is obviously a chance. I don't think they win in Kansas City against Mahomes. That's a very tough matchup. I don't think they win against Cincinnati. I think that was a very tough matchup for them in the first one. Not saying it's out of the question if they make it, because that's the beauty of the playoffs. You never know. But those are the type of offenses where, as good as Mike White has been, you're facing an upper echelon quarterback. Buffalo is a bit of a different story because you've shut them down two out of your two games playing Josh Allen. Mahomes, I feel like, is a different story. And Burrow, the defense has changed a lot since they last played, but still a very, very tough matchup. Mm. White has the opportunity to, to solidify himself as the guy these past few weeks. But I think at minimum, he's going to be on the roster come 2023. Whether it's competing for a starting job or being the backup to a veteran that they bring in. I think Mike White is truly going to be on this roster regardless. Moving on down the depth chart. Joe Flacco, mm, I think he's retiring. I, I think that his time with the Jets is up regardless, but... He's shown that he's just not an NFL playing worthy quarterback right now. He can't move. He can't hit the throws. It's just not worth it to put him out there. And then Chris Strebler, I think the Jets keep him around practice squad material, a Taysom Hill light type package that allows them to, you know, put a little bit, a bit of a wrinkle into their offense, a little bit of a, you know, keep the defense off, off schedule, off guard, and really allow them to exploit different matchups. Quite frankly, I think there's a possibility, and not just a possibility, I think it should happen this week that the Jets use that Stradler package against the Seahawks. It, sh- they sh- it showed against Jacksonville that it can work. Stradler did lead the team down the field. Now institute that in a red zone type look where, let's face it, the Jets have had their struggles, and I think you could have the opportunity to have an easy touchdown or catch a Seattle defense off guard and get that type of touchdown. And then that brings us to Zach Wilson. You know, Zach Wilson is the enigma, obviously, for this team. He is the issue. He is, what do you do with this guy? Now, there's a few options, right? Number one, you keep him on the roster and you let him quote unquote develop still. Heading into year three, year two was supposed to be the, the, the development year. I don't I don't think this is the, the likely option. I think if Wilson didn't have to come back in for the Detroit and Jacksonville games, this option probably despite my personal disagreement with it, would have been the more likely option. Allowing him to fully reset and then take on a quarterback competition, whether it's for the starting job, the backup job, in 2023. I think because of the Detroit game and really the Jacksonville game, 
that is not the more likely option. You know, with Jay Glazer coming out and reporting that the Jets are likely to move on from Wilson, if you follow the media game, you know that nothing's ever leaked without a purpose. Somebody is leaking that information to the media. Take that, take that as you will. Take that as you will with that situation. Take that as you will with, you know, who wants that information out there? Why is that information out there? You know, that that's usually a good way to think about these types of things. The option number two is the Jets trade Zach Wilson. What is his value? I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't think anybody knows. If you would have asked me after Sam Darnold's Jets tenure, I would have told you most likely he's worth a single second round pick, if not a third round pick and some change. The Jets ended up getting a very nice package from the Panthers in that trade that really enabled them to get Brees Hall, which he was a superstar for them when he was on the field. Darnold, he's been up and down in Carolina. Not going to go as far and call him like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. But he definitely has been this upper echelon guy that Carolina thought he was going to turn into. I don't know what team trades for Zach Wilson, but I think there's going to be one. And my reasoning in that is the NFL has this thing where they love to take on project quarterbacks. I don't know if it's the hubris. I don't know if it's just this sense that coaches think they can fix anything. But we see it year after year, time after time, organization after organization. These teams take these chances on the quarterbacks because they think they're the ones that can fix them. Run you down the list. Obviously, we mentioned Carolina with Sam Darnold. Carolina takes a look at the situation. The Jets had him in. Darnold has looked better than Zach Wilson. That's that's a fact. But he also was not good at all. He was in the Adam Gase system. And he had no, no supporting cast around him. Whether you're talking about offensive line, weapons, running backs, anything. The Jets did not have much of anything to surround Sam Darnold with. The Panthers look at it and we're like, okay, we have a better supporting cast on offense. We think we can take him, insert him in, and he can be the guy for us. Doesn't work out for Carolina. They lose the draft picks. They Carolina then ends up taking another swing on Baker Mayfield, who Cleveland gives up on because of that entire situation with that guy who hasn't looked good. That's a bit of a different story. The Cleveland quarterback has had prior success, but you guys, if you follow, you know that entire situation. Carolina takes the, sh- the shot on Mayfield. Carolina misses on Mayfield. Now, let's look at this again. Is it the Matt Rule offense? Or is it the quarterback themselves? Because Baker Mayfield gets picked up by the Rams and immediately leads them to a win. And then has shown that he can still play at a decent quarterback level. So has Sam Darnold in the new Panther system under interim head coach Steve Wilkes. You see this with Carson Wentz 
Carson Wentz has been traded for by both the Colts and the Commanders. Both these teams see a potential quarterback that can lead them to wins despite their prior failures. It happens over and over and over again. And I couldn't tell you the value, but I truly do think that there is a team in the NFL that is going to be needy at quarterback, but not in a position to pick a top guy that looks at Zach Wilson and is like, for this type of compensation, I think we can get something out of him. I think we can be the team, the coach, the organization that can fix him. Now, when Austin gets on here in a little bit, we're going to ask him this question. We're going to ask him where he thinks Zach Wilson ends up. And not the option number three is the Jets just outright cut him. And I, I don't think this one's likely because unless there's literally no team in the NFL that wants to take a shot for any type of compensation on Zach Wilson... The Jets are not going to just simply release the number two overall pick. He will be dealt. And it's too big of a cap hit for a team that needs all the resources that they can have. And all the money that they can have to fill the holes on the roster. Such as adding another safety. Adding more speed at linebacker. Getting another edge rusher. Adding another receiver. To be able to have those type of funds to to do that you need to free up some cap space. And simply releasing Wilson doesn't create as much cap space as trading him. So if we're really being 100% honest, looking towards the future, number one, I think the Jets quarterback room is a mixture of Mike White, a veteran, which can I think is either going to be a Jimmy Garoppolo type, a Derek Carr type, a Gardner Minshew type. One of these guys that, you know, if you put them in a system, you're confident that they can, you can get enough out of them. I think there's also the outside shot possibility. You end up with an Aaron Rodgers or in a pipe dream scenario, a Lamar Jackson. Those guys could come available. We've seen crazier things happen. The Jets are in a position to succeed if they get the right quarterback. And we talked about it last week. The Jets cannot miss on the quarterback decision this time. They can't. They can't miss on the quarterback decision. Sala and Douglas will not be afforded a third time unless they win in spite of their quarterback. But that's not usually what happens. They will not be afforded a third time to pick a quarterback. They have to get this decision right. Whether it's Carr, Garoppolo, Rodgers, Jackson if he comes available. Minshew, they have to get the decision right. So with White and a veteran, I still think the third guy in that room is a guy they draft. Whether that is in Anthony Richardson, if he falls, let's face it, probably not as likely as it looked. But still, I think that's the perfect guy to sit behind a veteran and Mike White and really learn how to play quarterback in the NFL. Something that the past two Jets quarterbacks that they have drafted have not been afforded the opportunity to do. I think that could be, you know, a Tanner McKee option. I think he he is in danger of falling. Maybe a CJ Stroud option type falls. But I think the more likely scenario is 
it's going to be a guy that you really haven't heard of that is brought in to be that third development option. So they have another reliable option behind White and the veteran in the future. And I think that's how the quarterback room moves forward. I don't think Zach Wilson's on the roster. It's looking more and more likely every single year that that, not every single year, every single week that goes on, that that's going to be the case. Where does he get traded? I don't know. But there's going to be a quarterback needy team that pulls the trigger on the move. There's going to be a quarterback needy team that goes, hey, we like the, we like this kid coming out. We think we can get something out of him. And I think that's where it ends for Zach Wilson and the Jets. Because I, I don't see how he stays on the roster. There's just not a pathway where the fan base is happy. Wilson's most likely happy. And the organization's happy. It's just, it's a it's a broken marriage, so to say. And the best option for all parties involved is to find a middle ground, is to find a way to not have it affect them anymore and just start over. And I think that's where the Jets are at. I truly do. If you guys have any thoughts on that, any comments on that, on how the Zach Wilson situation should play out, leave them below. I want to hear what you guys think. Because I think that it's at a point where it's unsalvageable. If you guys think something different, I'd love to hear it. I really would love to hear it. I think that it's interesting to see Wilson's development versus a guy like Fields, a guy like Lawrence, obviously, a guy like Mac Jones, who is having his own struggles. But at the same time, when expectations change and you can't do the simple stuff right, it's hard. It's hard to keep a guy in in the in those situations. Zach Wilson, for all his talents, like we've said earlier, has not been able to do the easy stuff consistently. And I feel that especially watching as much football as I have, I can say this with confidence that as a quarterback, if you can't hit the easy stuff, if you make the easy stuff harder than it needs to be, it's just not going to work out for you playing football in the NFL. And there's obviously outliers to this. You know, everyone wants to compare the Wilson type stuff he can do to a Mahomes, to a Rodgers. 95% of the time, Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes do not have footwork issues. They do not have mechanical issues and they do not miss open throws. If Zach Wilson was not missing open throws and he was having way less mistakes, then you live with that. You live with that as a young quarterback. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. But in the sense that he's missing all these plays and the, the big plays are happening in these this tiny, tiny, tiny quantity, it's hard for that to be sustainable. It's hard to have that for a team that's trying to develop. It's hard for that when you're a team fighting for a playoff spot. It's very hard. It's very hard to do that. And that's the situation the Jets are in right now. It's a situation where they can't 
ask Zach Wilson to be this guy anymore. It's too hurtful to the team, not just on the field, but you already saw the locker room issues. You already saw the the body language of guys on the field. Garrett Wilson getting upset when Zach Wilson misses him over the middle. You've seen that with the offensive linemen when Wilson's just aimlessly scrambling and they're trying to hold their blocks. It's just building block, building block, building block, everything on top of each other. And eventually, the Jenga, the Jenga pieces are going to fall. The Jenga pieces are going to fall down and you know what's going to hit the fan. And that's what's happened with Zach Wilson. So, if you guys have any comments on that, make sure to leave them below. If you guys have any comments on anything, make sure to leave that below. But before we move on to more of a widespread NFL discussion, because there there were some pretty impactful games, and as my co-host is joining, I want to remind you guys that Creative Window Design Center is serving New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Florida. They are fully authorized Hunter Douglas dealer. Contact Jeff at 609-226-03914 for a free consultation. Also, All Campus is giving 20% off everything in their store, including hats and shirts for all their subscribers, so make sure to get in on that. Austin Kane, how are you doing today, my friend? What's going on? Happy Tuesday. Glad I could make it in for the back half. Um, I'm sure you hit most of the, the good points so far, so got trust in you that our listeners heard what they had to hear up to this point i had mentioned something specifically that you were going to touch on and that i was going to ask you so i was talking about the jets most recently we talked about the giants earlier in the show question of the day is the giants will win a playoff game agree or disagree i personally went with the disagree i think they're going to beat indianapolis this week And then Philly, not so much, but I think winning the Indianapolis game essentially puts the Giants in the playoffs, barring the other tough matchups the teams behind them have. But in the Jets situation, we were talking mainly about Zach Wilson, about how, you know, Mike White has the shot to prove himself, to really get a stranglehold on the job with these last two games, that the Jets got the miracle with the Patriots, Dolphins, and Raiders losing, that... Really, you know, they have a good shot to beat Seattle to really take advantage of this the new opportunity and then have a good shot to beat Miami. And they only need one New England loss. But more importantly, talk about the future, how, like we've said on this show, like I've said on this show, the quarterback situation is most likely looking like White, a veteran, and a guy drafted later in the, in, in the draft. And that Zach Wilson's most likely not on the roster. And I was running through, you know, some of the options of what I think will happen with Wilson. I've really arrived at the point that I think the most likely option is he gets traded. So I wanted to ask you, for a guy that showed against Jacksonville that he can't complete the easy passes, for a guy that showed he got outplayed by yet another quarterback that just got thrown in there off the practice squad, who do you think's taking a shot on Zach Wilson? This offseason? Uh, I think, you know, I mean, I've said on here before, I was telling you the other day, I think Tampa is a real option. Uh, I think Brady 
it's probably done there after this season, whether it's to a new team, to retirement. Uh, I think Tampa, you know, they don't really have much behind Brady. Uh, they, you know, they have a core team. I don't know what the contract situation on everyone is right now, especially the wide receivers. But if someone was going to take a shot, uh, a team I would think would be Tampa. They're just out of a Super Bowl the past two years. So, you know, fans aren't going to be on the edge of their seat uh, begging to get right back in there. And, you know, if they think they can produce something with Wilson or, you know, just a better situation for him, that could be it. Uh, you know, I was actually running ideas in my head because I think at this point Jets fans will just hear whatever they want or not hear whatever they want. Um, they'll, they'll really think about any possibility at the quarterback position at this point. And, I mean, send them to Green Bay. You get Jordan Love. Packers have the ability to let them sit behind Rodgers until Rodgers wants to leave and retire. Um you know, maybe that would help him develop being behind like a top 10 quarterback all time for a year or two. And then the Jets, you know, a guy who's been wanting to start, you give him a good team around him, which the Jets have, it'd be pretty interesting. I know Love has the talent, uh, the arm talent at least. Uh, he was a first-round pick. He's barely started or has never started. I don't even know. But I think that'd be a real, you know, potential possibility if we're just, you know, throwing potential things out there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the Bucks option is very, very interesting because you know you got to think about how do they look at Kyle Trask compared to Zach Wilson? Do they think Wilson has better potential in that offense than Trask? Is that coaching staff even there? A lot of things that go into it. And the Green Bay option is interesting because so many people are like, "Oh, the Jets got to trade for Aaron Rodgers." I like the Jordan Love option a little bit better. I think he's younger and has a bit more to prove. They're also allowing, in the best interest of Zach Wilson, to sit behind his idol, the guy he looked up to. Maybe maybe he learns more in that system. But the only issue with that one is, will a Green Bay team that is so intertwined with the coaching staff of the Jets be willing to trade for a Zach Wilson? Yet on the other hand, would they be more willing to trade for Zach Wilson because of those connections? Very interesting to think about. I think for me, when I look at this, you know, I think you look at a team like Denver, in a sense, where maybe that's an option. I think you look at a team like maybe Las Vegas. And when I see these teams, I'm not saying like, oh, a first or second round pick. I'm saying like a third and like a fifth for this guy at most. Like I, I, the way he's played, I'm not expecting Joe Douglas to pull off a, a heist where he's getting a first round pick. No, I, I think that there's a there's a sunk cost already associated with him with how he's played. But those are some AFC teams in the NFC. I could easily see in LA. I could easily see a a, a New Orleans and in Atlanta, maybe. And you know, it's it's so hard to look at you know these types of situations where you know <laughs> it's it's so hard to look at these types of situations and just be like, 
yeah, Zach Wilson. It's just like like it's just it's just a lock he's gonna go there. Because we didn't say that about Carolina and Darnold. No. And there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. Like if you look at in the NFL, through the NFL, maybe not need, but like desperately need a quarterback. But there's a lot of teams that, you know, could potentially make a move for a new guy this offseason. So there's many possibilities as to where he could go. Because I really don't think he's on the Jets roster next year, especially if he's not even going to be the backup. It just doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to happen. No, and, and I, I said this on the show earlier, you know, he got benched for Chris Strevler. The dude, the dude literally got called up from the practice squad the day of the game. He found out <laughs> he was playing the day of the game. And he did better than Wilson. Like, I, I pulled up the stats. He had two less passing yards and 50 rushing yards in like a quarter. Yeah, and if, you know, he probably thought that ref had to be like the single high safety because if if he doesn't, he's hitting that and that's a touchdown, which I 100% think he probably thought that was the safety. Ridiculous, man. But I think it's time to move on to some NFL discussion because there were some pretty interesting games around the league this week. And, you know, looking at it, where do you want to start? Um, let's take a look. I think the game of the week, Eagles-Cowboys, um, going into it, at least was the game of the week. And I think it turned out to be a pretty damn good one. Uh, yeah, Hertz was out. And I think the Eagles still gave themselves a really good chance to win. Uh, four turnovers doesn't help. Which we've seen the Eagles, you know, turning the ball over more in the second half of the season, but they showed, you know, if Hurts out this week, you know, they should be fine against the Saints. Um, I think they had, you know, a few bigger injuries this week. Lane Johnson being out is a big one. It's going to be out the regular season, potentially into the postseason, and then uh, Avante Maddox, which is big loss for that secondary because CD kind of torched them this week, uh, especially when. The Eagles dropped back in the zone. It kind of just pieced them apart. And, you know, Dallas offense looks really good. But, it's, you know, Gardner Minshew threw for, let's see, a lot of yards. I know that. 355 and two touchdowns. So that's not promising either. Um, I think going into the playoffs, I really think these two teams are going to meet again. And it's going to be another Philly-Dallas matchup, which uh, will be interesting because it will be first time all year. They'll have Hertz and Dak starting on the respective sides, so that'll be yeah, cool to see. yeah. That that was that was such a fun game to watch, man. That that was that you know Gardner Minshew auditioning for the Jets starting quarterback job. Just love 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 seeing that for, that performance out of him. But in all seriousness, it just shows that the Eagles just have so much talent around. But I think Hertz. It just kind of gives him a little bit more of that MVP case that, let's face it, he's probably not going to get because Pat Mahomes has been an alien this year. But it shows that just having him in there gives them a different element that while Minshew had a really good game, Hurts doesn't make those consistent mistakes. And Hurts has the bit more of the, you know, running ability to really make up for those um, those things. Where I yeah. want to focus on and this kind of encapsulates everything. Man, 
the AFC playoffs and the NFC playoffs are going to be so interesting, but for com- two completely different reasons. <laughs> now, do you have the, the projected playoff picture pulled up in front of you? Like the playoff I bracket? Do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the, the picture who will be in. Figure. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So, the NFC, for me, you know, I look at the games this past week. The Packers defeated the Dolphins, and, and I'm going to close with the Dolphins for our, our, our NFL recap, but we'll get there after we discuss this. The Packers beat the Dolphins. You know, the, the Bucks barely beat out a Trace McSorley-led Cardinals team. I'm pretty sure in overtime, right? Yeah. The 49ers smoke the Commanders, sure. But the Vikings barely eke out a win over the Giants. The Seahawks get rolled by the C- the Seahawks get rolled by the Chiefs. The Panthers run all over the Lions. The the Ravens barely eke out a win over Atlanta. It's basically you know how we have the story of David versus Goliath in myths? This is essentially yeah. of a playoff full of Goliaths and a f- playoff full of Davids. We got a playoff full of Davids in the NFC and a playoff full of Giants and Goliaths in the AFC. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you're wrong at all, um, <laughs> especially when like a division winner is going to be whatever, nine and eight at most. and you know, get a home playoff game versus a team that's going to be, what, 11-5 and five or whatever it is, uh, which is interesting. It's uh, how it goes, which, you know, kind of makes you think if we want to dive deeper into the playoff discussion, is the seventh team necessary? I think it is, but I think at the same time it isn't. It is because – you know, you have teams actually playing for stuff down the stretch. You don't have, like, these tanking stuff. And, you know, tanking is not as blatant in the NFL, but, you know, you have the Colts throwing out Nick Foles out there. Like, you have that type of yeah. stuff. Where, 100%. you know, the the NFC, in this sense, you got the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Niners, and the Vikings are really, like, your your four teams. I, I couldn't tell you which team is going to, you know, just run to the Super Bowl because they've all shown, like, cracks in the armor. The Vikings have, like, the worst point differential for a team with their record I've ever seen. Every one of their wins has essentially been, like, a one-score game, right? Dallas almost lost to Houston. The Eagles almost lost to Washington and Houston. You know, the 49ers, like, I'll be honest with you, the 49ers would be my favorite, but they have Brock Purdy starting at quarterback. So it's like that's the variable in there where if they have a Jimmy G in there, I'm picking the 49ers to come out of the NFC. Tampa Bay has looked like one of the worst teams in football. There's there's literally no guarantee that they're making the postseason. I think Carolina has a better overall roster than them. And they can overtake Tampa with a win this weekend. So it's like all these teams are so clustered together. And that's not even saying the fact of what there's a possibility the Giants or the Commanders or the Seahawks randomly beat one of these teams like Minnesota. 
Especially in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, teams play tight. Anything can happen. Um, you know, for me in the NFC, I would also agree, like, Niners, if they had Jimmy G, would be my favorite just because going into the playoffs with a rookie quarterback doesn't really always pan out the way you want it um, just because there's no experience in the playoffs. It doesn't help. Uh, I mean, at the moment, if they're healthy in their first game of the playoffs, I feel like it's hard not to take the Eagles uh, just because the way they played this weekend against Dallas without their starting quarterback um, and a few guys getting banged up. But it really will be interesting to see. And it's so funny because you look at the AFC, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the like there there's like these there's like these upper echelon teams, but the upper echelon teams in the AFC, I feel like they're so different than the upper echelon teams in the NFC. And even like these lower tier teams. I'm scared of the Ravens if they get Lamar Jackson back. The Chargers have Justin Herbert. The Jacksonville Jaguars have a Trevor Lawrence that continues to break out, right? Between the Patriots, Jets, and Dolphins, those teams have shown massive capabilities, specifically the Jets and Dolphins more so than the Patriots, to compete against anyone in the entire NFL. Between the Dolphins with Waddle and Hill – regardless of who's playing quarterback, and we'll get to that, that's kind of the point I want to touch on, or the Jets with a defense that has made Josh Allen look mortal for like two of the only times this entire season. So when I say it's a playoff full of Davids versus a playoff full of Goliaths, I'm, I'm really referring to the upper echelon because the upper echelon He's so good in the AFC and the NFC. It's like, I guess, but even the bottom tier teams, there's more of a threat. Like, in all honesty, let's say the Jets are traveling to KC or Cincinnati. There's a shot the Jets shut down the Bengals' offense. There's a shot the Dolphins outpace a Cincinnati team. In the NFC, do you have any confidence that a depleted Giants offense, through no fault of their own, but just injuries, is even moving the ball on the 49ers? Probably not. Uh, yeah, especially when you get to the more bottom teams like Commanders. Like They're not going into San Fran and winning that game. It just probably isn't going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's definitely a deeper, deeper conference in the AFC, and I think we kind of knew that going into the season, uh, especially just like quarterbacks and stuff like that and how the offseason was broken down. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what teams like officially get in next week. Was there like one one wild card spot available uh, between like six teams? So I guess that's what makes it fun with the, uh, the seven seed. Yeah, it's it's there's more depth in the AFC. There's more really strong aspects of teams versus, you know, the NFC, it's a, it's a bit weaker. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the stretch run looks. You know, it's going to – I'm I'm excited for the playoff picture. I'm excited for this upcoming weekend. We'll get to that very, very shortly in the show. But the last thing I want to touch on, and this is going to tie into what we talk about at the end of the show – Tua, Tua's back in the concussion protocol. And 
I I feel like I feel like I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this, especially talking about an AFC playoff picture where the Dolphins are right in the thick of it, right? We both saw the hit that has come out, and you know the the entire concussion protocol changed because of Tua earlier in the year. This is his potentially third concussion in a single season. You know, whether it's because of the concussions or not, the way his play completely fell off in the second half, really allowing the Packers to get back in that game and win. I I feel like, and especially as someone that's played football, and I feel like it's so important to have that distinction because there's a way of looking at it from, I think, people that have played the sport and people that haven't played the sport. I don't think Tua should play again this year. And I've seen people push back on that. I've seen people, you know, disagree with that. But there has to be. And I know the NFL is notorious for not being like this. There has to be a point in time where you protect the player and the team from themselves. The guy is going to want to go out there and play you have to protect him from his from himself as a coach, as an owner, as a general manager, as a league. You cannot let him play on a third concussion in a single year. Because we, unfortunately, we've seen what's happened with guys post-playing with the concussions. As look, CTE is a real thing. It's a real thing that affects a lot of players the nfl is not a non-violent sport for as much as we love it, it is a very deadly and violent sport you have to protect the guy from himself that is the only way he's able to really even have a shot to play in the future it's crazy to even think about playing on three concussions in general the three in one year it, it should playing again should be out of the question and I know how much that impacts Miami's playoff chances. I am not saying that as like, oh, I want an easier road for the Jets or, oh, an easier road for the Patriots or the Steelers or the Raiders or it makes things more fun. Like, no. At the end of the day, it simply comes down to the fact that this is a guy that has literally gotten knocked out of games, stretchered off the field in games, and can cost in three different separate instances. He should not see another field the entire year. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like the, one of the first ones when he was like all like passed out on the field. Um, yeah, there's questions of him never playing again, just retiring, walking away from the game, which at first maybe sound like crazy, uh, crazy storyline. But like now we're thinking about him playing more games this just this season on a third concussion. So if you're going from he should never play again from one or two to all right, let's bring him out next week if he gets to the protocol on after a third one, then you're going backwards and you know the league continues to look bad in these type of situations. And you know the fact he played the second half like and his play really did drop off. I mean he threw two terrible interceptions, or maybe all three were in the second half. Either way, most of his picks did not look good. Um, and, you know, it really did let the Packers come back and win that game. And 
I mean, I know it's two different things, the injury and football, but it, the concussions all tie it back together. And I don't, I agree with you. He just can't go back out there. At least, you know, not this week. And how bad does it look for, look for Miami? Like, is it going to get to a point with them where there's just a, there's a NFL investigation into like how this org, organiza, organization's being run? Like, like, look, I hate to be like that that guy, but it's your quarterback. It's on a third concussion. If they even think about putting him out there, you're, you're, you're putting this guy's long-term health as a human being at risk. It's not just about football at that point anymore. Yeah, and it's not like he's going to take his hits, you know, no matter who he faces, what game, how long he's out of the concussion protocol or not. He's taking his hits. You're a quarterback. You're going to get knocked down a bunch of times during a game. And, you know, all it takes is, you know, another bad head to the ground impact. And there you go. And, you know, who knows what could come from that. So the risk is extremely high for, you know, the reward at this point being the seventh seed in the playoffs, which is just not worth it. No, it is not. But that – on a very somber note, wraps up our NFL <laughs> coverage for uh, for this week. Uh, we will be back next week, and it's almost playoff time. And next week, we're going to be going over playoff picture, how it's shaping up for the last week. Yeah, he's got his Steelers shirt on. I got the I got the Jets shirt on. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be a very interesting week. So make sure to stay tuned to the show, and we're we're gonna be covering it all. That takes us to. MLB discussion, and, you know, there's only, I feel like, one big story to really discuss about the MLB, and it's Carlos Correa. Just jumping right in, it's Correa. So in the time that we've had this past show, the Giants deal with Carlos Correa fell through. The Mets apparently signed Correa. I think it was a 12-year, $350 million deal. And then, interestingly enough, the same issue that the Giants had with Correa popped up with the Mets. And I know the first instinct for all these people are going to be like, oh, LOL Mets, right? LOL Mets, you know, Mets mess up again. But the fact that two separate teams, and this is really how I look at it from a, just a step back perspective, because I personally was laughing at the Giants about it. Because I'm like, how could the, I'm like, oh, the Giants. You know, they backed out of this deal for no reason, blah, blah, blah. The fact that we've had two separate MLB teams with two separate medical staffs flag the same issue. That is showing me that, okay, yeah, this injury might have been in 2014. But is there something else going on with Correa that just hasn't been reported about? Is there something about this leg injury that is really like going to drop his production off a cliff? in the next few years. And the biggest thing with the Mets in this scenario is, yeah, it's, it's tough because Cohen came, went public with it. Cohen was excited about it. It kind of puts you in a bad spot. But at the same time, this isn't a piece that the Mets need. This is a luxury piece. This is the over-the-top piece. Like we discussed earlier in the, on past shows, you can always get a Devers. You can always trade for a guy like that. You can always trade for that over-the-top offensive piece. 
there's going to be other guys to become free agents. Devers again next year. So this isn't like, oh, the world's ending if you don't get Correa. You just, you know, you got to pivot somewhere else. But I just think the more important thing is, despite the likelihood that he probably signs with the Mets, it's not looking as likely, but it's still decently likely. The fact that you've had two organizations back out of, or potentially back out of two different long-term deals. Austin, what does that say to you about Correa as a long-term viability as this top-tier player? Yeah, I was going to say, just two physicals not going through after you know two massive contracts were verbally, ex- verbally accepted. Um, you know, it's weird. Uh, it kind of makes you think that, you know, wherever he does sign, it's not going to be some crazy long term that, you know, he's been in agreements with. And it's interesting because – what was I about to say? I don't even know. Uh, just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, well, that, uh, uh, yeah, because, yeah, happened. he said he was still uh, he was still uh, 50% committed to the Mets and, you know, but he didn't really have any thoughts of renegotiating and they kind of wanted the, the same kind of deal which makes it interesting because I don't think I don't see anyone giving him that deal, especially if two teams are flagging him down, um, you know, a player of that, that kind of ability. It's weird. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't think he's going to get that 13, 13 year deal or the crazy massive, you know, 13, 300, whatever it was, uh, which who knows? Uh, I know teams are calling in now uh, still. I think like three teams went in. I don't think that was ever reported who it was. So, I mean, do you think he'll be he'll be staying? Uh, he'll be with the Mets this year? Or you're not sure yet? It's a pretty unclear situation. So the way I the way I look at it is like it's a lose-lose scenario for both these teams or both both these parties if the deal doesn't get done, right? The Mets, it's the less you know, issues. Oh, Cohen went public with it. Bad PR move. You know, where the, the thing it shows is correct. Look, in my eyes, it shows, Hey, Cohen's going to go over the top. He gets excited about deals, right? It's not as bad of, as a look. It's not a good look. Don't like, don't get me wrong. It's not a good look in any sense of the word. PR nightmare, blah, blah, blah. Everyone forgets about it by the time the season starts for on Correa's side. I feel like there's more of an incentive to get the deal done there. And the reason is once what's the, what's the thing? One's one, one person's like nothing. Two's a, two's a party and three's a crowd, right? The fact that there's been two teams that have flagged the same medical issue. There's literally, I'd say 0% shot that any team even goes near. I say 12 years. I'd say five is more likely, seven. But how likely? How? What are the chances Correa takes a deal in that range after getting two deals like that? What are the odds that he even considers a shorter term deal? He doesn't. He doesn't get the same payday, and in all likelihood, he probably does want to be in New York. He probably does want to be a part of that organization, considering the fact that there hasn't been a lot of information that that has come out about it. You know? I think it's just a matter... It's a matter of 
who who is going to lose more in this situation? And let's face it, it's not going to be the Mets. If it falls through, who's losing more? It's not going to be the Mets. It's going to be Correa. He's losing God, his. He's losing hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> and and I, I think that's what I think that's what it comes down to because there's the, the Mets. It's fun. Like it's crazy to think about it like this, right? In the in the Mets situation, oh, we lost Correa. Let's go trade for Devers. And I'm not saying that happens, but that's the type of move you can make to quote unquote make up for Correa. Oh, let's go sign this guy and this guy and trade for this guy. In Correa's case, oh, I'm not getting 13 years now. My spending power is probably cut not just in half by three fourths. I'm getting three fourths of the contract. I'm probably I probably would have got since I didn't want to renegotiate with the Giants, and I didn't want to renegotiate with the Mets. Both these teams gave me a shot to renegotiate, and I chose not to. The odds of him getting a third long-term deal in that same pay range are slim to none in my eyes. And that's, that's why I think the deal gets done, because Correa has so much to lose, Boris is never going to go publicly with that. But Boris knows he had so much to lose in this situation that he's going to try and get this deal done. Yeah, I mean, he's going to keep pushing until he can't push any longer, uh, which makes you think if, you know, if he's going to the Mets, is he only going to want to sign for that 13-year deal where, because, you know, on top of it, he's going to have to play third base, which, you know, probably prefers short. So if he goes somewhere else, I mean, I agree. He's not going to get the 13-year deal. It's just not going to happen because once he gets a 13-year deal for however many millions, team's going to see the same thing on the physical, make the same red flag, and not commit to paying the dude $300 million. I think he'll probably fall somewhere in the five range, uh, probably the same amount per year, whatever. And what team? I mean, I don't even know um, off the top of my head. Maybe back to Minnesota, doubt it. Possible. Are, 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 are you saying like if he doesn't go back to the Mets? Yeah, if he were okay. to sign officially with the Mets. Because um, apparently three teams called. I'm, I just have no idea who they are. So if I had to throw some teams out there, Twins, Braves maybe. Um, I'd say Boston. Boston, yeah. Mm, I mean – the Yankees, maybe. <laughs> I doubt it, though, um, if they haven't at this point. On top of that, uh, I'm just trying to think. Of, I mean, it could be any team, really. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe it just goes to some, like, team who sucks, and for the 13 years, the team just gives it to them just because. Baseball owners, their pockets are super full, so who they, they could really do whatever they want. Who's this? Just anything. Yeah. Just like if someone wanted to give them the money, build around them, uh, or just give get the face of their franchise or something. But I just impossible for him to get the 13-year deal from a true contending team or something. It's it's just such a weird situation. Just such a weird like – We don't thing. see it much in baseball. No. Like, Which, 
like like this this leg injury has to be pretty pretty bad or like the long term stability of it has to be pretty bad if two separate teams are flagging it. It's like yeah. it's just it's simple as that. Yeah, especially for a player of his capability. I mean, guy that good uh, in a league where we don't see the physicals pop up as much um, can't be can't be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, outside of that, I mean, MLB is, there, is calm down. Is is there any baseball news I've I've seen? I think the entire off season is really revolving around Correa right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't have it up at the second, but I mean, we can pull up the top remaining free agents. Um, just off the top of my head, I know Gene Segura, just because he was a Philly. Um. All right, Gary Sanchez, uh, Longoria. I mean, I would say for the most part, top tier guys are off off the board. Yeah. It's uh, all it's all yeah. depth. It's all, it's all depth. yeah, all pretty much depth role players, which just kind of expected. I'm happy none of these big names held out until February on us this year. Maybe if we had one left to uh, patrol around, but you know, Correa is not officially done yet, so. Still, still plenty of time though till pitchers and catchers report. Not too much time, like two months. Yeah, exactly. And then we're back. Yeah, uh, for for all the remaining baseball news, uh, stay tuned to the show because it's it's only going to pick up as we get closer to spring. I guess the only thing I could say is I saw the Red Sox to be willing to trade Chris Sale, but Chris Sale isn't the guy he used to be. I feel like that's more of a depth, not depth, but like a number three type starter instead of that ace. But that's that's really it. Yeah, uh, not too much. You know, Hendricks' name has been thrown around a bunch. Nothing really is stuck there. But we will see as as we get closer to, to spring. All right. Well, I think it's time to transition to some basketball talk because, you know, basketball had a big presence this holiday weekend. Uh, as it always at, does. As it always does. So, looking at the Knicks – um, th- th- there there's been some distance opened up in the uh, the top of the East versus the uh, middle tier of the East. So looking at their past few games, after defeating the Golden State Warriors, the Knicks have proceeded to lose three straight games, losing to the Raptors, the Bulls on a last second Demartha Rosen shot, and the Sixers. Where look. The Knicks have looked good. They've looked good in these games. They just haven't won. Obviously, you want to see them get back to their winning ways. But, you know, the standings, the Knicks are three behind the Sixers. And then just keeps going up from there. The Nets have catapulted into the three seed. They are a half game behind the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Kyrie, KD, that entire Nets squad, they're rolling like we said, superstars help a lot. You're, you're seeing that without Jalen Brunson and Jalen Brunson being a bit banged up, that the Knicks are lacking some of that scoring, some of that three-point firepower. And it just shows you, you know, I, I've compared this team to the pre-KD Kyrie Nets. They got the depth, they got the talent, they don't have the superstar yet. Or the second superstar, because I think Jalen Brunson is a superstar. But... You know, they're they're the sixth seed. 
They're a half game up on the Hawks. They're a full game up on the Pacers, Heat, and two and a half games up on Toronto. You just got to keep winning. You just got to keep winning, pushing forward, and that that's really what it is. The Knicks are in playoff contention. They're not a tanker, and I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other day, the other game on uh, Christmas, they were actually they were up. Um, you know, the Sixers just kind of went on a run and outpaced them at the end of the game, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. But you know, if they're able to strap down defensively, uh, keep playing, you know, good basketball. They were on the eight-game win streak. You know, dropped three in a row. Uh, you know, they played tonight, eight thirty in Dallas. Uh, it's gonna be a good game. You know, probably got to. Main focus, obviously, got to be Luca. He doesn't really have much help around him. Uh, you know, if you can somehow contain him, because he's a freak. But if you can contain him, you can give yourself a chance to win this game. You know, try and contain the turnovers and hit your shots, because that's how you win basketball games. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think a big thing with the uh, with the uh, the Knicks as they face a stretch where they they should get a few wins. They play the Mavericks, Spurs, Rockets, Suns, and Spurs again before playing Toronto and uh, Milwaukee. You know the, the Sixers played a zone where if the Knicks had a bet a bit better sh- three point shooting, they would have been able to exploit it and score more points. But that's really been the shaky aspect where they they have their ups, their downs. They can get that consistent shooting, you know. They're they're gonna be they're gonna be in a good spot. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just flipping that back around, I think the the Knicks were in a zone as well, and you know the Sixers were just able to hit their shots. If it goes the other way, you know, Knicks probably win that game. So that's how basketball works, you know, it all kind of evens out throughout the game. But you know, if they can pick this one up, you know, maybe start a little streak again, get going continue to move up in the standings you know as the season goes on uh i'm sure trades and rumors are going to start flying soon enough uh because you know we're almost through the new year we were at christmas which we said is almost you know the which is the checkpoint you know where your season's going next right in the middle of that pack good chance to make the playoffs right now um got to keep picking up points exactly uh do you want to transition to hockey or you want to stay with basketball um, up to you. I mean, we can go over the Christmas games if you want. Um, yeah, let's do Pretty that. Good slate. Yeah. Uh, what What do you What What, what one you want to cover first? I mean, we covered the next one already, but yeah. Uh, I mean, Celtics Bucks. Uh, two heads, two headed monster of the East was, yeah. Celtics are good, man. You know, you think you think it's Tatum, and then Jalen Brown pulls out some nasty move, and then you know Al Horford inside, and Mark, uh, Robert Williams just came back, and he's a beast too. Uh, they're very deep, very deep team, and I think that's you know something that's really big down the stretch in in basketball, especially in the playoffs, because you know bench may see less minutes, but those minutes just the importance of those minutes just get so much bigger. Uh, we it's good for them. I I, I, rem- I remember we watched that game together on Christmas, and that uh, it was funny seeing your reaction to uh, the Celtics. But you know, just just seeing Tatum and the way he plays, it's like it's exactly what you said. It's okay. Tatum is literally scoring at will. 
all right, let's double team Tatum. Okay, now Jalen Brown's going to score the next five. Okay, now we're going to pass it to Grant Williams, and he's going to hit three straight three. It's just the Celtics have, I feel like, the perfect combination of stars and role players because when they're on, they're on, and they, they're not going to lose many games. It's when they hit their bumps in the road that I think it's like, okay, Tatum and Brown have to put more on their backs, and can they do more than a Giannis? Can they do more than a KD and a Kyrie? And I think they can. I think they can in certain situations. So I'm very confident in the Celtics and, and their their championship aspirations because I'll be honest with you, if I look at the Western Conference, it's it's really – it's a lot of youth. It's a lot of youth versus – the experience of the East. I think, you know, whether it's a Sixers, a Bucks, a Brooklyn, a Boston, I think right now they have a better shot of winning a championship than, let's say, a Denver, a New Orleans, a Memphis. Like, those are, those are your top three teams in the West. And I'm not saying, like, these teams are bad, but it's like, you know, a Boston team matches up really well against a Denver-type team. A Boston team matches up really, really well against a Memphis or a, a New Orleans. So does Milwaukee. So does fit like It's just the East, I feel like, is a bit more compact and more talented versus, like, the West is probably more potential talented, but they're very, very young. Yeah, I mean... When you look at it standings wise, it's straight up eight v eight, and it kind of seems like the end. Same thing with the AFC and the NFC, where just one seems just seems to be a little bit stronger you know, right now. Um, but hey, I mean, I guess come the playoffs, uh, when these when eight teams on each side really come, go after each other or to meet in the middle, anything can happen. But we'll see. I mean, I, I I'm gonna have to agree. The East does does seem a little bit stronger though. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the next Christmas game? Oh, well, we skipped over uh, we skipped over the Lakers, uh, our favorite team, who are now thirteen and twenty on the year. But I mean, it just sucks, dude. Like, it sucks having to watch LeBron go through this because he is so good. He is he, he is he is thirty seven years old and he is still carrying the team on his back. No third. I'm sorry. Look. No 37-year-old, no matter how good they are, should not have to be expected to, and as I pull up the stats of this game, drop 38, 6, and 5, and still lose by 10. That is hard. That is hard to do. And that's not on LeBron. Like, I'll be straight up. That's not on him. No, nah, it just can't be because he's, he's playing every position. Uh, AD's out. You got half of a Russell Westbrook sometimes, which who has been pretty good off the bench, I won't lie. But outside of that, you don't have much uh, just around you, and you're just not going to win the NBA like that. Uh, unfortunately, LeBron, I mean, he has done it before. He's won by himself or he's carried teams by himself to all the way to the championship many years in a row. But, you know, in the game he's in now, uh, just I don't think – I don't see that happening anytime soon. I mean, he's averaging 27.8, 8.1, and 6.6 on the year. 
how old is he? Thirty-eight or whatever. Thirty-seven. His twentieth year of the league or whatever. Yeah, like it's just it's messed up. And as the season continues, and as I said, trade rumors are going to start. I'm not counting him out of any rumors. Uh, if he wants to go somewhere too, like he, he's probably going to go somewhere if he wants to go somewhere, which we will see uh, when when we get closer, I guess, to the deadline. That would probably happen, which let's find out when that is. Also, look up if, if he's even trade eligible with that contract. Uh, but uh, NBA but uh, online February 9th, and I'll find out if he's eligible. But it's also like you look at – like Lonnie Walker's getting 30 minutes in that game. Pat Beverly's playing 30 minutes. Dennis Schroeder's playing almost 30. Austin Reeves and Westbrook are almost playing 30. And you got Troy Brown and Wenyan Gabriel playing 20 minutes a game? Or uh, 20 minutes in that game? Like, that's tough. That's very tough to even compete with the playoff teams in the West, let alone the upper echelon teams. Um, Found it. Woj says he is ineligible to be traded due to his second year of his extension being greater than a 5% raise, which which is new to me. I didn't know that. Which NBA is, trade rules are weird. Yeah. <laughs> Everything with the NBA contract watch just gets sketchy for me. So I don't dive too deep into it unless I need to. That being said, I guess LeBron will not be traded. <laughs> Uh, other pieces on the team, I can't say the same for because I don't know who is now trade eligible, and I think they should just sell house and start on over. Yeah, and then you trade. I guess you then you get rid of LeBron in the offseason, which is just crazy to think about a team getting rid of LeBron. Yeah, that's a crazy factor itself, like just unheard of. Um, which is going to be interesting to see, like what that package could possibly be to, you know, get LeBron. Because LeBron, not only, you know, probably still a top five player in the league, he's playing like it. Um, he's also, if you get LeBron James, your your fan base, you'll sell out every night. <laughs> so, uh, be very very interesting to see what what happens with this Lakers team going forward. Exactly. Uh, we got ten minutes left. Just to quickly recap some NHL stuff. Rangers are tied with the Penguins at 43 points. They're three behind the Devils and seven behind the Hurricanes. You know, Rangers are on the season 19, 11, and 5. You know, they're they're playing well. They're they're in the playoff hunt. That's all you can ask for. They're the only other two teams they're behind are the Maple Leafs and the Bruins. Uh, just your weekly flyers check, uh, a ni- nice 29 points on the on the season. So, you know, that's always good to say. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're tanking for Connor Bedard. Give me him, and I'll be happy. If not, I'll be sad. Yeah, but that brings us to the week ahead. Look, the, sh- the show form, the show is going to change soon because the NFL is going to stop. We still got football, you know. Football's uh, king. Football's king. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the AFC. The, the the AFC has a huge impact. You got Cowboys-Titans to start off the week. That game will probably go a huge way, in a way, to deciding the uh, the AFC South. 
I'm not sure that fully decides anything, obviously, but because I think that's more of the Week 17 game. But, you know, that that's an important game. How do the Titans look? How does Dallas look after a huge, huge win? After that, looking at Dolphins-Patriots, huge game in terms of the Dolphins' playoff odds, the Patriots' playoff odds. If the Patriots lose that game, they're done. If the Dolphins win they that game... <laughs> yeah. If the Dolphins win that game, it's potentially setting up a win-and-in scenario, depending on the Jets-Seahawks game. Very important at 4-5 in Seattle. Colts-Giants is important. Eagles-Saints is important. Panthers-Bucks. The game for the inside track in the best division of football, the NFC South. I'm being sarcastic. Hopefully you guys can tell. Probably is the biggest game of the week. If eh. Mon- it's definitely no, up no, there. no, it's up there. For Bron- a division title. Broncos, Chiefs, and Bills, Bengals. Well, I, I think I know what, what my biggest game of the week is. Broncos, Chiefs is important. Jaguars, Texans is important. 49ers, Raiders, Vikings, Packers, Steelers, Ravens on Sunday night. Let's go. And then the the game of the week in my eyes, finally getting a legit primetime game for what feels like the first time in a, at least four weeks. Probably exaggerating a little bit, but this is like, this is what you want. Bills, Bengals on Monday night, man. Here we go. <laughs> that that's probably the biggest game of the week because that's if the Bills lose that game, they Is they have they have Chief to play. Swoop in? No, they have to play in. They have to play in Week 18. They have to play for that one seed, even if the Bills win and the Chiefs win. They they still have like. There's so much that can go. Right, wrong for all these teams this week that. Quite frankly, that's the only thing I'm, I'm focused on. Obviously, the Correa news, the fallout of that, but in terms of actual sports games, it's all NFL. It's all NFL playoff picture because this is a week that's going to decide a lot. 100%. I mean, unfortunately, I missed the majority of the Jets talk, but I will be cheering against them this week for the sake of my own team, uh, only because I do not want to be eliminated from the playoffs at like seven o'clock and then be like, Oh, I still have to watch my team play on Sunday night football after we just got eliminated. So uh, hopefully we can just stay alive and have something fun to play for in week 18. Uh, I mean, honestly, if the Steelers get in and got their asses whooped in the first week of the playoffs, I do not care. Uh, I do not care about a draft pick. I know I've been on this tangent a bunch of times. <laughs> I, I say so they make the playoffs. They get crushed again. I don't care. We made the playoffs. You know, I know in, after week 18 when they don't make the playoffs, I'm going to be crying for Steelers football back the next day. So I just need it. More football is fun football. I don't care about the draft pick. It's all half luck anyway on who pans out. So we will see. Uh, big week. Uh, other games I'm looking at. You know, I want to see the Broncos without Hackett, which, you know, if you've been with us for a while, you knew I called that one and out on the season uh, for him, which, you know, had, had to happen because you can't cut Russ, which we've talked about a bunch of times. 
Uh, I want to see if you know. I want to. See, I want to see Ross come out and throw for like three touchdowns, but it's just not going to happen. He looks really bad. The whole team and the offense, at least. Uh, I mean, the defense didn't look much better this week either. Um, any other games that we haven't mentioned? Uh, Bears Lions, uh, only because the Bears could lose the the first pick, or the Texans could lose the first pick now, and the Bears could potentially get up to that. So, which if the Bears get the first pick, could change a whole lot of things for this upcoming draft and make a lot more things interesting because we know they do not need a quarterback at this time. So, I mean, a lot of implications uh, this week seventeen. It's going to be fun. It's going to be another fun week of New York sports and sports in general. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you guys for joining us once again. We appreciate all the support, all the fun comments, conversation. We love seeing all of it. Stay tuned for next week. Going to have a really big show. Giants, Jets, NFL, hopefully some MLB talk, NBA, NHL. Austin, any parting words? Uh, shout out everyone coming in here. Happy New Year's. Be safe out there. Crazy world. Crazy things happen. Uh, yeah, enjoy the sports week. Uh, we will see you back next Tuesday. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>